Hello, beautiful people. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about the sponsor of today's podcast, and that is Tuesday Treasure. This is my weekly newsletter where I send out and compile the coolest things every week that I find. And that could be from conversations, books, articles, tweets, whatever it may be. And people enjoy this newsletter because it's simple, informative, it's quick, it adds value, it leaves people with more energy after reading it than they had before, and it's very easily consumable. So if that sounds like something you'd enjoy, you can go to dannymiranda.com slash Tuesday and sign up for that newsletter. You can also find an archive of previous episodes at that link, dannymiranda.com slash Tuesday. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Now let's get into today's episode. And this is with Dr. Yusuf Smith. He's a personal trainer, a doctor, and the co-creator of Propane Fitness. This is a business that helps people increase muscle, lose fat, improve their mindset, become more productive, and they help personal trainers expand their own businesses. So Yusuf and his partner Johnny, who will be on the podcast later, have been putting content out on the internet since 2008. They're knowledgeable, they're funny, and they're interesting guys. And Dr. Yusuf got his medical degree while running two businesses. So he knows a bit about productivity and he's quite the smart guy. I had such a great time with this conversation. It was such a joy to speak to someone who's so humble, so so intelligent, so smart. And I really think you guys will enjoy this episode. If you do enjoy it, let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda. I absolutely love your feedback about the episodes. If you have anything to say, let me know on there. And that's pretty much it, guys. I look forward to hearing what you guys think about this episode. And let's get to it. Interesting people, thought provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. How's your day going, brother? Yeah, it's going well. Um, this is kind of the uh, firefighting day. So just catching up on all the admin, clearing the inboxes, um, sorting out all the kind of scheduled stuff. So yeah, feeling on top of it. Do you have specific days for specific things? Like, do you batch like that? Yeah, so I have project days, firefighting days, and, um, you know, my my main problem is not really having proper off days. Um, and I know that that's like the, it's funny, it's like the, the, the problem of kind of overachieving personalities that they struggle to fully take a day off. Um, so that's where I need to improve for sure. And it's, but when you, you say firefighting days, it, it, it makes me seem like, it makes it seem like you're behind. Why don't you call it like something else? You know what I mean? Yeah, true. I suppose to call it like shallow days or, um, however you, however you want to see it. Yeah. It's, uh, this is kind of the, the problem that we were talking about last time of like setting up on multiple channels all at once. Um, a few years ago and rather than kind of nailing one channel we've now just got like an equal flow of queries and support tickets and everything coming in through 
email, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. So um, it's a bit fragmented. So sometimes you just got to sit down and be like, right, just going to run through all the platforms and just clear everything at once. So what is like a firefighting day for you? Like, what are you doing today? Like, just yeah. recording this podcast? Like, Well, the, the, the podcast is kind of an anomaly. This would normally be a, a project or a creation day. Gotcha. But, but yeah, firefighting day, like, I, I try and keep them separate so that the mental frame that, that you're in um, can be preserved as well. I'm very much a fan of, um, of just going deep with a specific task. And I think context switching is just the biggest thief of our energy and productivity. And the more that you're moving between different types of tasks, the, the more fragmented your attention becomes as you leave this kind of attention residue behind for each previous task. Yeah, man, it's so fascinating that you say that because I'm actually taking two classes right now, one intro to psychology class and one statistics class that has to do with psychology as well. And at first, when I started taking these classes, I started, I was like, okay, I'm going to do one module from one class, one module from the next. And what I realized is my brain was going in different places. So then I just started to focus on one class and I was going to do one class for one week. And then after that week, I would change the other class. And what I found is that it gives my brain more of an opportunity to really internalize the material. So it's very interesting that you say that. Nice. It's so weird, isn't it? That just like by having the same slot of time, but treating it, treating the allocation of tasks differently, you can get so much more depth out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I, let's just run run it with this because I think that will be valuable to other people. And, you know, this is what this podcast is all about, just a conversation uh, where we could learn more about you, you know, have an interesting conversation. Yeah, let's just keep that in and let's run it. Let's go for it, man. Um, and thank you for having me on as well. I, I'm, really, I'm really glad that you connected with me. I think you're someone who brings positivity and authenticity and discipline to Twitter. And I think this is very much the energy that people are needing at the minute. So you're doing the good work. I appreciate that, brother. And what I hope to achieve with this podcast is for people to see, you know, you see one thing with tweets and you see one thing with written word, but it's another thing to hear it in the voice of someone, right? You get a different perception of who they are and and a, maybe a more authentic and maybe realer uh, perception. So thank you for the kind words. And I really just want to present that same energy that I'm writing on Twitter into audio form as well. It's kind of the perfect barbell of content creation because Twitter has to be extremely refined and brevity is king, obviously. So you're really having to cut down your thoughts and give the least nuanced, most punchy version of your values. Mm. But then in podcast, you can free flow a bit. You can actually explain the nuance. There's, uh, it's, it's perfect because then you're able to, from a content creator's perspective, like you develop the skill of doing both, of elucidating on, on your thoughts and, and also creating the long form stuff. But also for people that listen to you, they can then get, get more Danny with the podcast. Yeah. So enough about me, though. Let's talk about you and let's talk about 
you've been doing this online stuff, this online business stuff since 2008. Most people haven't even lived that long. And, <laughs> you know, it's like 2008 seems like so long ago. So talk to me about consistency and how you've stayed true to one thing for so long. And the, the one thing is propane fitness I'm talking about. But talk to me about that, brother. Yeah, it's funny. The time has flown by, hasn't it? Like I'm seeing patients that were born after the year 2000 and they're like obviously 20 years old and it's like, bloody hell, what is what has happened? So we set up, me and my business partner, Johnny, who I was very lucky to, to meet. He is the smartest person I know. Um, we set up Propane Fitness back in 2008, really just as a sounding board for our thoughts and to put our ideas down on paper. And it was mainly to try and distill the overload of information of fitness online. There's a lot of conflicting stuff, obviously a lot of um, shysters and kind of scammy information that um, you had to kind of see through. And we thought, well, if we can at least bridge the gap for people to see what is actually essential in gaining muscle and losing fat, then we're happy that our work is done with that. So it wasn't really intended as a business, but, and I, you know, we'll, we'll come back to this, I'm sure, but I actually think that's the best way to start any business is not to have money as the focus. Uh, Cause it does just cloud your judgment and you start making decisions that, um, that veer away from offering your truest gift so we did this, we started to get a few organic inquiries. We took on our first coaching client for £12, which is about $15, <laughs> um, and uh, made a lot of mistakes along the way. And over that time, we've really moved from doing one-on-one -on -one coaching to group coaching to information products to leveraged coaching. And now propane fitness is very much a machine that kind of runs on its runs on its own steam and so we've pivoted more to helping other people do the same thing so people take their skills particularly personal trainers or coaches and move it online and be able to quit their full-time jobs a lot of the time so that's been the journey that we've taken so far that's amazing uh and it it happened, you said – so one thing that I wanted to touch on was about your business partner, Johnny, and I'm sure you're a good friend. You know, you were, what, 18 when you started this? And yeah. how did you like know that, okay, this is the person that's that aligns with me? Like how did you come to that decision, that conclusion? And was it just natural? How, how Talk to me about – finding a business partner that that works for you this is such an important point and it, I, I was just quite lucky that that johnny and i both um fell into a groove of having different skill sets and obviously since, since from the age of 18 you you grow a lot and you, you build out a lot of your skill sets over time so when you're running a, a small business as you know you are the accounting department, you're the marketing department, you're the delivery, you're the operations, you're the tech, you are everything. And so it's it's really fortunate to have someone that you can work with where you can split the duties and start to to grow your skill sets in different directions so that things complement each other and so that you can really scale. Um, the, the situations where a business partnership doesn't work well 
are either where both parties are have kind of overlapping skill sets and they're stepping over on stepping on each other's toes or they're unwilling to learn and unwilling to make decisions based on the evidence and based on the numbers and instead are have a lot of ego involved in that because if you're going to be clashing egos all the time then you're not moving towards a, a common goal so you've got to be aligned with where you want the business to go but also be willing to just base your decisions on the evidence and move in that direction so how did you guys actually meet like was it just through school or or lift yeah we went to school together um so we would we'd be training in like the school gym uh johnny tried creatine at the age of 16 and i was like whoa man you got to avoid those drugs like they're bad for you <laughs> it was Steroids. a uh, yeah it was a crazy time yeah that's awesome man and it's like just to just to understand and been through so many of my own journeys and my own failures and quote unquote failures in terms of starting things and stopping businesses it's really fascinating to see someone who stuck it out for so long what do you think really the key to your success was in terms of sticking out is it just that you truly at the end of the day loved fitness and you believed in the mission and and it aligned with you on one hand yes but you've you've got to be able to evolve and move with the market Mm -hmm. and as I say, we I think we mis- made every mistake in the book. But the key is, I think, something's only a mistake if you're continuing to repeat it, if you're continuing to bang your head against the wall and, and not get the results. And so from a fitness perspective, we actually turned that into our advantage. And every fad diet that we tried, every stupid training program, we just documented it, posted it online, did kind of debunking style content and use that to to help our clients avoid the same mistakes that we did to kind of save them the time. And when someone signs up for coaching, that's what they're doing. They're buying time. They're buying someone else's experience so that they don't have to go through the same ball ache that the coach did. That's why I think if you hire, if you hire a coach, you need to make sure that they've at least had some semblance of experience in doing the thing which you're trying to do. And ideally, they should have already achieved that. It should be several chapters ahead. So the same thing we've done with business now as well, which is the the, the main offering that we um, that we do at the minute, which is we've made a lot of mistakes with our marketing and our delivery. And we've arrived at systems now that are fully scalable, that give us a lot more freedom of time and location while giving the best result to our clients as well. And so that's kind of been the evolution of of the process and i think it's actually okay to be um to to show your failures and to 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 be authentic in that i think it's more credible Uh, a lot of people are afraid to do that they feel like they have to come across as as perfect or only show their highlight reel as you were saying the other day but it's not relatable and i think it's okay to be a fallible human as long as you can demonstrate that you're growing and learning from it. I think it it's counterintuitive, but it's so important to internalize, especially if you're a business or you're starting a business because you know, we we have these this impression, especially today, 
in the Instagram world that everything is perfect and that people's lives are perfect. No one's few people are posting about how, you know, awful their life is or the worst thing that happened to them. But what's really interesting is that when you start to show your failures, when you start to say, hey, here's where I fell, it actually, like you were saying, makes you much more relatable, makes you like a person's looking at that like, oh, I've been through that too. Or, oh, I, I know someone who's been through that. And yeah, man, kudos to you because it's not difficult. It's not easy. It's very difficult to to shed your your skin and to sh- say, hey, look, this is where I've gone wrong. But it's immensely valuable to the person on the other end. You're totally right, especially with something like Instagram, where people have created the highlight reel. And when you've got someone who's looking like they're living this absolutely perfect life, they that's very much a visual appeal. And people follow that because it's aspirational. But they can't relate to that person. They, they're certainly not someone that they would buy from. And really, if you're if you're looking to kind of get your message out there and resonate with people and ultimately to do business with them, then it's the same as having in-person relationships, just obviously using the leverage of social media, which is what we have. And it reminds me of a study from, uh, it was basically, they basically got this professor to come into a room, into a lecture hall and deliver a talk. And this, it was the same talk delivered, but the only thing that they split tested was the professor comes in, trips over and spills his papers on the floor in one of the tests. And at the end, people reported that they liked the professor who dropped the papers significantly more than the one who didn't. Wow. So he's shown some kind of chink in his armor. He's um, he's demonstrated that he's he's human and people relate so much more with that. Wow. That's an incredible study. And I'm I'm probably going to put that in in my newsletter this week because nice <laughs> yeah it just goes to show uh tuesday treasure for those who are not familiar dannymiranda.com slash tuesday hyphen treasure um always got to be plugging but talk to me brother about your so one of the the things that i've i've realized is that you know, fitness plays such a important role in my life personally because it allows me to center everything else. It allows me to just be that keystone habit. If I'm lifting weights, then I'm also eating right, then I'm also dressing correctly in terms of well-built style. And so talk to me about that. Talk to me about like how fitness has played a crucial role in being the keystone habit in your life, if it has been. Yeah, this is, uh, you mentioned that fitness for you is like a pulse. It's like something that is the rock that that is the centerpiece around the rest of your life. And although it's a bit cheesy, I'm sure you've heard that, that quote of like 200 pounds is always 200 pounds. The iron will never lie to you. It'll always give you its fullest and everything. And there's definitely some truth to that. And the the thing that I think people often miss and it's us bloody doctor's fault, actually, because we've we've developed medicine and the way that we categorize the mind and body as separate entities. We follow the Cartesian model of mind is in one plane and body is in a different one and, and they're, they're separate things. Whereas there's no anatomical point where 
mind ends and brain and, and body begins, for example. So um, having a, a training practice and seeing it as a very siloed thing that you do is the wrong way to look at the whole thing. Obviously, there's the physiological effects of brain-derived neurotrophic factor and uh, improving mood and cardiovascular health and all that stuff too. But it's if you can expand it in a broader sense, then we're developing discipline, we're developing reliance on yourself, trust in your in yourself and your consistency. Um, plus, obviously, all of the 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 stuff that surrounded with body image and sex drive and confidence and self-perception. I think there's so many far-reaching elements of having some form of training practice. And the reason that with propane fitness, we focus so much on fat loss and muscle gain is that at the end of the day, everyone wants to be a bodybuilder. <laughs> Nobody want to lift no heavy ass weights. The thing is people don't um, like people all have some degree of bodybuilding goal, but they often don't realize it because they look at a bodybuilder on stage and they go, oh, well, I don't want to look like that. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally everyone would like to have less muscle less fat and more muscle absolutely so yeah so so i think this is a it's a good goal to shoot for even if long term it's to feel better or to perform better there's always going to be some element of that and to have that as part of your motivator is is always going to be helpful and people anyone that says that that's not the case for them You've got to ask them, like, would they still train if it had zero effect on their physique or if it made their physique look worse? Probably not. Yeah, it's so fascinating that you say that because to me, someone who isn't isn't saying that, like, oh, I want to build muscle or, or lose fat, and that's not like a goal for them long term. Someone who says that in in many cases just isn't being honest with themselves, right? And isn't isn't hasn't taken the time because I'm just speaking from personal experience here. It's like when I was 20, 21, wasn't lifting weights regularly. I was saying to myself, you know, like I was lying to myself basically, like, oh, I don't need to go to the gym. It's not for me. Like I'm weak to begin with, so who cares? And it's just it's just a lie that I was telling myself. And I think that a lot of people who aren't in the gym, who aren't working towards some sort of health or fitness goal are saying the same things to themselves, just lying to themselves. And it's just so something, interesting. yeah, it's something to, to really think about if you're not currently in the gym, if you're not following a workout plan, are you lying to yourself or are, is there an actual reason? There definitely could be, but you know, it's something to consider for sure. It's, it's a kind of societal white lie that, um, that it's not okay to be vain that it's not okay to want to look better mm. um, or well, or there's lots marketed to that, but people have a sense of shame with that. Um, or the other white lie is, and it's very much come along with the, the body positivity movement is that we shouldn't be judged on how we look. And while I totally support the sentiment of that, unfortunately we've got to see that there is an idealized world as how we would like it to be. And there is the world as how it is. And we can't live in a delusion of denying what's what the evidence is showing. Unfortunately, people looking at photos of fat and lean people 
will ascribe characteristics to those photos about the person's character. So based on the data, people will assign personality traits of laziness, um, less wealthy, less gregarious, less sociable, um, and someone that they wouldn't hire to someone who is fatter compared to someone who's leaner. When they look at someone who's leaner in a photo, they'll they'll say this person's more intelligent, more sociable, um, they're better to be around. So mm-hmm. people will people have these inbuilt uh, prejudices. And while it's important to personally undo any prejudices that we have ourselves, it's giving yourself a, a disadvantage in a world where people do think this way. So I just think there's there's no argument not to do the best that you can to um, to polish the body that you've got. Absolutely, brother. And when we're honest with ourselves and honest with how we think, it really allows us to, like, and, and honest with our own biases, it allows us to then take the steps to do the work. Like, I'll look at someone and if I see that, you know, they're jacked, I'm just like, oh, wow, like, I know they've put in work. I know at some point in their life, They've spent hours in the gym. They've spent hours thinking about what they eat. And it gives me a level of respect for that person that I never I never would have had if I just, you know, like if you're presenting a neutral person. So it's really cool to to see. And, and by the way, like lifting weights and someone who's jacked, that's great. And also it's great who someone – someone who's like a marathon runner or a long distance runner, like that's so cool to me too for a different reason. It's really just about putting in the work. Have you put in the work? And yeah, man, that that's, it's uh it's something that we just see and we, we want to, we're, we're just immediately drawn to that, or at least I am. I, yeah. I suppose there's another dimension, which you've just pointed out there, which is that if you see someone who's jacked, lesser so with the marathon runner, because they have to, it's not, they're not wearing it on their body, but someone who's got, you know, 80 pounds of muscle on them more than the average person. You're, you're right that there is no shortcut for that. There's no cheat code. And so as a result, that, that person has to have certain characteristics of consistency and a degree of obsessionality as well to, to stick to something to produce that result. And your body doesn't lie. Yeah, absolutely. So Switching gears kind of a little bit, the reason why I found you was because I had stumbled across this YouTube video or this podcast called Modern Wisdom, and I just saw three English dudes just sitting around <laughs> a table, and I was like, you know what? These dudes are pretty cool, and what's what's really interesting is that I then found you on Twitter, uh, I don't know, like three months later or something like that. And we had a phone call and I didn't realize that you were one of those dudes in the in that first video that I watched three months ago who was in that Modern Wisdom podcast. So, <laughs> brother, talk to me about that and and like it's so interesting to me how the internet works and you just keep running into the same people and you're like, oh, wow, like that person is also there. And yeah, so talk to me about Modern Wisdom, how that came to be or and like – like what your role was in, in helping start that. And also just like, dude, that's such, so crazy. It's so cool. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about it, that. It is always funny when that stuff happens. And, you know, I'm, 
if if I'm to get metaphysical about it, I think that when you start to um, to resonate at a certain level, I think you start to attract other people on the same on the same plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that process is obviously accelerated with social media and algorithms, but I'm convinced that it also happens at um, a more uh, a more analog level as well. But yeah, so we um so chris from modern wisdom his his growth has been insane recently and uh basically he's a guy who used to live with one of my old business partners and uh we had a podcast and he was like oh guys can i can i see how you how you do this podcast like can i come on we were like yeah sure like so we had him on as a guest to talk about his experience of of crossfit so we thought um bro bodybuilder tries crossfit would be quite a quite a kind of buzzfeedy title to, to do he did that this was a few years ago and he kind of caught the bug of podcasting and he was like do you know what this is my calling i'm gonna mm. go balls into this so he made the shift from club promoter to podcaster set up modern wisdom and he's had a lot of uh, a lot of big names on there over the over the last couple of years he's been insanely consistent with it and it's been great to see his growth as well because he's taken it very much in a um in kind of creating a, a platform uh really with his aim to be the kind of the, the british joe rogan which mm. i think he's very much on his way to becoming yeah he, he's doing an incredible job and every day it seems like i'll come up with a new i'll see a new modern wisdom podcast and be like oh my god i know i've been reading this dude's work for a long time and this guy so yeah hats off to chris for for what he's done because it's uh when what have you seen from his growth in the past two years, really since he started, that allowed him to go so far so fast, seemingly? The the growth has actually been, you know, it's been very, ex, it's been exponential. So mm-hmm. the last couple of months has been where most of the growth we've seen in absolute terms. What he's done really well from the outset is he's looked at how is how does the itunes algorithm work and at the time of launch it may well have changed now there was a a process that tim ferris outlined of kind of basically blasting your episodes at quite high frequency to begin with and then give the podcast feed some regularity to to predict so he made it into the podcast charts with that started to get some momentum obviously having big guests on is going to expand your reach being able to get that get those episodes shared um plus the fact that he is a very inherent innately curious guy he's he's very good in he's just very good with conversation he's very good with kind of getting the best out of people and i think that really that's that's where his uh, where his genius lies and so making sure that the the quality of your content is good that it's a medium that matches your personality so I always say this to my clients as well is that if if you're uh, if you're afraid of the camera don't do video if you uh, if you don't like the way that you sound on a microphone then don't do podcasting you know pick the medium that suits the way that you think and the way that you produce best if you've got someone who's highly extroverted and a bit ADHD they're perfect for video but they're maybe not so good for writing long form blog posts so he's done that well he's matched the the format of his content production to who he is the the other thing is um 
aside from the the consistency is is having a video guy dean who's actually he's a friend of ours who is a full-time videographer and he really believed in the mission as well and he's the one who filmed us on that table that you will have seen in the video um he's kind of the the production side behind this so he's been nailing the the youtube side the thumbnails the mm -hmm. the trailers all that stuff so i think it's it's worked out as a very well very well run team it's so fascinating too because you look at a production you look at a show and you just see the face of it but so often the the background is is where you know is the unsung heroes and very cool shout out to dean didn't even know he existed before this podcast but very oh, cool. Dean is an absolute pro. He's he's yeah. just an artist of his of his field. I hope Clearly. he comes onto the podcast at some point because um, I think it would be like the the great reveal to see the the brains behind the the podcast. Yeah, that's like Joe Rogan, and I always want Jamie to be a guest. Jamie's the his uh, oh yeah exactly. editor. Yeah, so I think that's really valuable for people to see that the other half of the the production team or. There are other sides to this, and they've been through their own whole journey as well. So really cool to point out. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was the PDF, the Life Hacks PDF on Modern Wisdom. And the reason why I bring this up to you is because your name is in it all around. There's so many Life Hacks where it's like Yusuf likes this one or Johnny likes this one. And so Chris, this is Chris's PDF, you really gave credit to you know the three of you as just like the creators of this because you guys have done a bunch of episodes on different life hacks i think like nine or ten or something crazy so sure. so talk to me about some of your favorite life hacks because i think that aligns with people who are listening to this podcast as well yeah so actually um to to define a life hack i believe it's something it's an item or a behavior that improves your quality of life and uh, the the episodes that you will have heard on Modern Wisdom, that's basically we just do kind of like a round robin of what are some things that are improving our lives. And I'm, I'm working on a, a longer form blog post that's um, that's more of mine specifically as well. The way that I would categorize these is there's the essentials, so there's the absolute fundamentals. But then there's also physique hacks, things to do with your productivity, digital life, social hacks, mindset hacks, money hacks, and then just items that you can usually buy for under a hundred dollars that um, just make your life a little bit easier as well so to start from the beginning i think the the fundamentals are the ones that you really need to have in place regardless and this is maybe so fundamental that it's not even a hack but just don't be tired sleep <laughs> is the kind of um thing that people just ignore because it's boring to try and optimize but when you're sleep deprived like everything is just functioning on half fuel mm -hmm. um your cognition worsens i certainly notice that um under kind of slightly more intense sleep deprivation so if i'm on night shifts by the time i'm on the fourth night my brain feels like it's operating at 40 percent. like someone will ask me oh how many milligrams of this does this patient need and you'd be like sat there thinking this is a question that would be so simple during the day but mm -hmm. because it's four in the morning you you haven't you're just staring at a screen like okay hang on milligrams micrograms like <laughs> so um we know that there's a higher level of car accidents of cardiac events um of emotional uh, your emotional intelligence drops like all these things 
are affected downstream from being underslept. Um, so some of the easy wins you can do for your sleep, have some blackout blinds. If you can't do that, have an eye mask. If you live in a noisy environment, earplugs. You want to be sleeping in a relatively cold, cool environment. And so counterintuitively, having a warm shower or bath before bed will allow your core temperature to drop because the the acute heat is going to cause a vasodilatation and then your core temperature is basically going to allow that to radiate out so that your temperature does drop um, before you go to bed. Um, have a bedtime routine. I'm a huge fan of a brain dump before bed. So um, if you, like say two hours before bed, you start winding down. So you finish your work for the day. If you have any open loops, you schedule when you're going to do them in the morning. If you have anything on your mind that's still spinning, it's really important to have something in place to say, right, I'm going to close it for now. I'm going to pick it up tomorrow in the morning. And doing that as a formal process so that your brain can can fully switch off and trust that when you wake, wake up tomorrow, when you open your laptop, that it's all going to be there for you to deal with and you don't have to be sat mincing over it overnight. I love what you said about closing open loops because... I find that personally, when I text someone and I'm in the middle of a text conversation and they don't respond, that is still on my brain, whether I realize it consciously or, or unconsciously. And I've, I've thought about why that is. And I've come to the conclusion that it's because it's very unnatural for us to say something for some to someone or ask someone a question and then for them not to respond like imagine if if during this conversation i asked you something and then you just like stopped <laughs> the conversation entirely and and got up i would th be thinking in my head like okay did i say something wrong you know what is going on so i think it's very unnatural and our brains are not programmed and designed to say something to someone and then for them not to say anything back. So it's really fascinating and I, I love that that idea of closing loops. You're absolutely right. There's, there's so many of these examples, like the other one you pointed out of doing a podcast on video where because of technology, we've introduced these unnatural elements to normal conversation where, as you said, that uh, just before we started recording, that if you have a video on, it doesn't represent normal conversation in that you wouldn't just go up to someone, hold a mirror to their face and ask them questions. <laughs> but we, there's so many elements of online behavior that, that have kind of uh, perverted this, this course a little bit. Mm -hmm. So some of them, obviously the things at scale that we're seeing, but, but also, yeah, the asynchronous conversation and it has its advantages. You know, I think it's great for something like coaching where you can, so we, we prefer to do coaching through uh, asynchronicity because it allows you to then sit, take the take the person's week, send them a considered response, either by voice note or, or video, and then they digest the response. They look at how they can implement it, they can replay it, rather than if it's in a conversation, you often find that certain bits get get missed or you're like, oh, what, what were they saying there or whatever. So having that um, that recording and time to consider a response can be very helpful, but at the same time, it's it's not it's not a natural way to communicate. Dude, I, I love how you brought up the nuance to what I was saying and gave the positive to it because you're 
absolutely right in the sense of when when we are having a text conversation or an email conversation, we are actually storing that information and we can then pull it up whenever we want and it almost becomes part of our brain at that point. And that's such a positive because you like you said, you can come back to that whenever you want. And and I think it's it's so interesting how, you know, I was looking at the negative of of this and you you explained the positive and it's so true, man. Like and I think and I I urge everyone listening to to do that. Like whenever you think of a positive or a negative, ask yourself or have someone smarter than you, like you tell that <laughs> to someone else and and explain to them the opposite side of that. So thank you very but much, you're, brother. You're right, man. This it's it's all it's a double edged sword. And um, you know, we would we were talking about this when when you called me the other day that something like Twitter, you so you just said there that it, it you see what someone says and it becomes part of your mind. That is a double-edged sword, and that's a huge one. Because on the one hand, you've got a feed which is curated from people that you have chosen to follow. Now, we tend to follow people relatively indiscriminately, or at least at least I did. I'm now trying to um, kind of spend some time unfollowing. But what happens is that, especially with something like a Twitter feed or, or an Instagram feed, it is very slowly programming your mind a certain way. And if you are not careful about who it is you're choosing to share thoughts with and to resonate with, then it's the same as being as indiscriminate about what you put in your mouth. Most people are very discriminate about what they put in their mouth, but not so much about what they put in their mind, what kind of media they consume, what kind of people they follow. And this all does have a an unconscious effect on the the basic ground that our mind functions on that all of the the mass of uh, of information in our minds forms the the subconscious and that that is the 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 soil it's the ground that your conscious thoughts will come out of so i think we've got to be very careful how you cultivate that absolutely and it's so funny because it's like i had a tweet the other day the other week that was saying like thank you for following me you're actually letting me brainwash you and yeah. <laughs> it's it's really true and what's really interesting is that the scale that Twitter, that the internet provides in allowing brainwashing and allowing, you know, like if 50 years ago I had this thought, right? I had any random thought. We're talking about 1970. I have a thought and I just, it just pops into my head. Okay, the chances of someone else understanding that thought and having that thought getting to their mind that would take a long time. That would take, it, it depends on who you were and what your platform was. But if you're just the average person on the street, you might need to write a letter or you might need to direct that thought to a specific place or call someone up on the phone. But now you have the scale and the leverage of the internet, which allows me to write a thought. And then immediately that thought gets downloaded into thousands of people's brains. I mean, it's really absurd if you think about it from that level. It's a massive responsibility for the content creator. It's, yes. you know, the fact, as you said, like one thought can, with very little friction, like how long does it take you to write out 280 characters, can just be part of thousands of people's brains. And I think the people, who, you know, this is what people need to be very careful of. And that's why I think 
we need to get so conscious about what information we're consuming is that because of that low friction, because it doesn't require much um, much effort for someone to put a thought out there, they might not be basing that on any evidence. And we see that a lot with, with people on Twitter giving out medical advice. Like I saw something today about someone claiming that um, coffee, fasting and cold showers cures their cancer or if they have, you know, stuff like this. But you're like, well, if it's so easy for someone to post a thought out, then this is going to be the case. And 50 years ago, for someone to have written a book, they had to have jumped through so many more hurdles, thought so much more carefully about what they were going to say, that being an author carried a lot more prestige because you knew that this is someone who's been <clears throat> been deep in the cave and really produced a work of art. Whereas now you can self-publish or you you know there's lower lower friction to doing that. So. Yeah. So I think that the problem here with social media is that, yes, it can be used to your advantage. And I think it's a very powerful tool to build a brand. But if you're consuming social media, you need to recognize that, I, you know, I, I don't think that the algorithm is malicious. I don't think there's anything particularly malicious about the system. The system is morally neutral. But the problem is that human nature optimizes for quick dopamine and easy uh, platitudes. And so as a result, and, and the and the other thing it optimizes for is outrage. We know that posts that provoke outrage get the most engagement. They get the most likes or the most comments on them. And so naturally, the algorithm is just going to optimize for things that get the most engagement on them. And that's why the whole fake news thing came about, because if you can start just posting stuff that's going to rustle jimmies and piss people off, then it's going to get loads of engagement. So I think we've just got to be quite careful and realize that the algorithm isn't supporting or hindering us. It's just, um, it's just what it is. And we're the ones that need to put the barriers in place ourselves. Yeah. And what you touch on it, it hits at one of my core beliefs, which actually Eric Jorgensen talked about in the last episode is that reality is neither positive nor negative, right? You're talking about it in the context of social media. It's like, can you, if we draw that out to life in general is neither positive nor negative, it allows us to then create our own interpretation and allows us, if we understand that and we, we believe that to be true, we can then say, okay, if it's neither positive nor negative, that what just happened, how can I give my own interpretation to it and, and understand that and internalize it? 100%. So one thing that you've had a lot of experience in is, it seems like from your website and from previous conversations, is meditation, right? And meditation is something that uh, someone listening maybe has never done. If someone listening has never done meditation, what do you suggest they do? Good question. So meditation, I think, has been poorly marketed or or you could say extremely well marketed but for the wrong it's basically become like the six minute abs of the meditation world and that's what's taken the the forefront with um publicly available mindfulness programs and it's often referred to as muck mindfulness by serious meditators and i i think it's great that they're getting they're getting it out there they're they're growing the popularity of meditation as a practice 
what I think people need to be careful with is just to have realistic expectations of what they will get out of meditation. Um, the same way that if, because when, when someone says, oh, you can just meditate six minutes a day and get some benefit. Realistically, if you told someone you can train for six minutes a day, like you, you wouldn't get a huge amount of benefit from that. Like it's something you're going to have to take quite seriously. So as long as, so with, with that said, recognizing that what you're doing here and the goal of this is ultimately undoing the illusion of self and you're structurally and functionally changing your brain, that this is going to take a bit of effort and it is going to require undoing a lot of the old habits that we that we've built over time then we can say right what's the method what's the what's the approach that we'd want to take with this now i'm not a stickler for any particular school of meditation any particular method i think the important thing is to match it to your temperament so if you are a particularly cerebral person if you live from the neck up if you're very mind focused then maybe doing more of that is not is not the way you want to go you need something maybe to counterbalance that so i would suggest a more heart or body oriented practice something like heart math or yoga or breath work alternatively if you're a very emotionally driven person very physical but your mind is all over the place then a more mental meditation practice like a concentration or vipassana approach is going to work better. So do you see what I'm saying here? It's kind of like um, on a physical level, if you have some guy who's like, you know, like naturally like fat, strong guy who's just a bit of a bit of a beast, uh, but he's never really trained. You wouldn't say, oh, this guy needs to do weightlifting. You'd say this guy probably needs to do a bit of stretching and running and eat a bit less food. But if you've got the person who's naturally very skinny, but a bit fragile and um, kind of underfed, you'd be like, well, this person needs to eat more and, and lift weights. Mm-hmm. So it's about looking at what are your specific weaknesses and how can you counterbalance that? I love that. And I, I love that we keep coming back to this thought of like, we need to tailor the plan for the specific individual. And it's really true after doing yoga and doing mindfulness meditation It's like both are forms of meditation. Just sitting with your thoughts is a form of meditation, as is doing yoga. And that's like meditation for my body. And it's really true. Um, The question that comes to mind is like, how do you identify what you are? Like, how do you separate yourself in terms of either camp? How do you diagnose which one, where your main bottleneck is? Yeah, yeah, this this is often, a, it's funny because the tool that we're using to identify the bottleneck is the tool that we're training. <laughs> we're, we're training our awareness and our um, sharpness of concentration, our ability to recognize what's going on in our body. And so sometimes hiring a coach and having someone look at you objectively and say, ah, oh, this is what you need, that can be very helpful. Mm. The other The other way to approach this is to do all of it and then figure out, what did you get the most benefit from? Yep. I certainly think that um, there's no harm in having a meditation and a yoga and a breath work practice, but naturally that's going to be time consuming. And so you've got to kind of, you know, you can kind of play around with it. You could do the CrossFit of the meditation world. Dude, I 
I have so much love for you because you are the doctor that I always want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> like truly. And so oh, man. No, what I mean by that is like you go to a doctor in 2020 and you see they're overweight and you see they've never trained a day in, in their life and you you say to yourself, how is this possible? We know weight training and increasing muscle mass and eating correctly is going to lead to longevity. It would be the same way if you're looking in 1970 at a doctor who smoked. You'd be like, what is going on here? And the point is you are focused on pursuing the greatest version of yourself and leading to longevity and doing all these things to help your body and mind. It's like that's the person you want to go to for your health. So you've touched on this in in the past hour about what you're doing and, and you're becoming a physician or you're you're in medical school right now, right? And so no, so I am I'm I'm a qualified doctor at the minute. Oh, you're you're actually a doctor. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. My apologies, doctor, doctor Yusuf. I think actually when um, it might be because when you saw the life hack series, I was a medical student back then. Ah. They were recorded a few years ago. Ah, that there you go. Okay, that makes complete sense. Thank you for for throwing me that bone. Uh, <laughs> so so talk to me about that and talk to me about being a doctor and. Just like how that has changed your perception of just life in general and how, how it's like how, – how you've applied all these things that you've learned, meditation, lifting weights, eating right. How, how have you seen that in the medical community and, and talk to me about that. Oh, man. Yeah, big question. And, and thank you for the, the kind words as well. I, I appreciate that. I think this is, this is a huge topic and with, with – Doctors walking the walk or, as you said, not smoking, being examples of health to their patients. I've got, yeah, I I very much think that if you are a doctor, you have a level of responsibility to your patients. And if you aren't, you know, you're, you're seen by them as the bastion of health. And so I think if you're doing something lifestyle wise that is overtly unhealthy, obviously, you know, you you can't you can't be expected to be on duty all the time but you have to accept that you pay your money you take your choice and the consequence of that is that your patients won't take you seriously you won't be seen as credible the same way that you wouldn't hire a fat personal trainer or a driving instructor who can't drive i think you have to have some degree of, of credibility with what you're doing now the counter argument is that you know, you can have a male gynecologist and the, you know, he doesn't need to demonstrate any kind of credibility or you could say that a doctor's job is more kind of diagnosing and, and um, administrating, treat, administering treatment rather than being a living example. But it, it doesn't sit fully well with me if they're completely detached from doing things to, um, to improve their own health or at least to to, to modify their own their own risk factors and so yeah you're right if you have a doctor who smokes or a doctor who's overweight telling that patient you need to do these things of course the patient either might be polite and not say anything but of course they're going to be thinking well it's all right for you doctor but mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I've just seen you smoking outside the hospital so so yeah I, I i definitely think we need to walk the walk in anything that we're gonna be professing ourselves so how has it changed your perception of of life actually being a doctor and like 
do you see patients every day? Like how, how does that work? And how has that changed your mind in terms of anything really? Yeah. So it's, it's amazing actually. I'm, I'm so glad that I took this route because qualifying as a doctor has been what has been the hardest thing I've ever done in that it's really pushed my, it's pushed me beyond what I thought my limits were. And it's forced me to grow so much as a person. And I think the conclusion I've come from the, got from this is that putting yourself into a system that is going to really put you through your paces will force you to grow. And, Mm -hmm. um, whatever that system is, as long as it's something that is greater than you and you have to get, you know, you have to get a bit kind of, um, like the Sufi saying that if you're a, you're a candle burning, you have to kind of burn yourself down to be able to give off the light, to be able to give off the gift of what, of what you are, that it, it does, um, it, it's a bit of a baptism of fire, but you come out the other end and I'm so, so grateful and so privileged to be able to, to deliver care in that, in that way. I think it's, uh, it's something that, yeah, I, if I had to do it again, I, I, I absolutely would. It's fascinating, man, because what you touch on is, is so true to human nature in the sense that whenever we put ourselves through challenges, whenever we look at it, something difficult staring in front of us, like going to medical school or trying to lift weights and trying to build muscle and lose fat, not to compare the two, but just to point out that they're both difficult challenges. And whenever we take that step to expand ourselves, what we find is that one, it's a challenge, obviously. And two, you come out of it a slightly different person and a slightly better person in the sense of now you've been through some stuff. And I, I said in the last podcast, like, there's wisdom in the grind. Like, there is wisdom that comes out of pursuing a difficult challenge. And yeah, man, hats off to you. And just, it's, it really changes you. Whenever you pursue a difficult challenge, you, you understand that this is, this is going to be, my life is going to be different from here on out. And that's a good thing. Very much, man. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of that, that you have to kind of forge yourself as a, as a new person to be able to respond to the challenges that you're, that you're faced with, you know, and, and, um, there's that, again, a a bit of a cheesy saying about the sculptor having to kind of chip away at himself to, to reveal what's, what's underneath. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it certainly is an emotionally exhausting job at times. You have to very much come to terms with death quite consistently um you have to be able to switch role quite a lot depending on depending on the patient some people are, are in hospital but they don't you know they don't want to be treated they're very aggressive that um it's not all kind of uh it's not always a a smooth teamwork experience very different to coaching in fact because with coaching someone has chosen to put their money where their mouth is and they've actually paid you for your time whereas in a hospital particularly in a in a public healthcare system people are there because they're unwell and they're pissed off and they're not they don't necessarily want to see you but you're there to stabilize them and get them better so it's a very different dynamic and it's so interesting wow that's so fascinating because 
from my perspective, I always looked at coaching, online coaching or, or fitness coaching as like almost a doctor itself. And I'm wondering, did you view that the same way before you started actual medical school? Yeah, I think I think coaching is very similar to primary care or being a general practitioner mm-hmm. in some ways because they've come to your clinic that they're, they're usually well enough, you know, they're not completely um, horizontal and they've got a specific problem where you're coming to a mutual agreement and a management plan. Now, the difficulty comes where there is an overlap with coaching and, and, and lifestyle medicine or preventative medicine where you have someone that might come with a specific problem. They're looking for a pill as a solution, but actually the real solution is stop smoking or eat less food consistently for the next six months. Like these are not very sexy answers and they're often going to be met with a bit of resistance. Like, well, doctor, can't I just have the pill and, you know, send me out the door. And so this is maybe where people have some degree of cynicism for the medical system, because if a, if a doctor has seven minutes with a patient, they're not going to be able realistically to sell somebody onto the idea of eating a calorie deficit for six months or um, to convince someone who's been smoking for 20 years to just, to just quit smoking. Like the the patient needs to have buy-in to improving their life as well. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think this is where there is a, there's a big overlap of where someone can, where, where coaching can fit in as long as uh, someone is is bought into it i'm i'm sure you've had this where someone might buy coaching for some for for a friend or a family member as a present but that person never engages with it because they didn't have to invest in it themselves it's a very nice present for someone to buy their their brother a, a coaching package and say oh it's going to it's going to help you but if they're not invested they're not going to commit mm. so true you need that personal investment if you want to see any success in anything um so dude you do so much you're you're a doctor you run a business and you read a lot of books like you're obviously a productivity machine talk to me about some of the tips that you would have to someone else who's like how does this dude do all these things (laughs) what what are what are your tips for that yeah, so I, I just recorded a series on this actually because I I thought it was a it was a very common question I was getting and I thought I need to formalize this into a step by step workflow, and the to give you the kind of cliff notes of it, the the first step is that what is more important than how, so it's it's important to know what you eventually want your ideal day to look like, and then reverse engineer that because so quite often it's easy to just have our heads in the corner we're just working away at something and then we look up five years later and we're like oh shit like i've just been working in the completely wrong direction here Mm -hmm. um and now i've got to kind of backpedal and and figure out what it is that i what it is that i want the other thing is to have some respect for your time and recognize that if there's anything that doesn't have to be done by you then your time is better served doing the thing that is your core genius and outsourcing everything else. I know some people disagree with this, but I'm a huge proponent of outsourcing your cleaning, your ironing, your meal prep, anything that 
unless you particularly get some joy out of doing it or it's how you make your money, then you need to outsource it because you need to free up the bandwidth to do the things that you need to be doing. The next step is just having a clear workspace. And it's going to sound silly, but get a Mac, get an Apple computer, because if you're working on Windows, you're just like, you're just running through a treacle constantly, <laughs> and it is awful. So having a clear workspace and a Mac, from a tech perspective, that's going to supercharge your productivity. Then beyond that, focusing on working in slots of deep work and shallow work and having uh, boxes of time where you're doing work within a specific context, as we were talking about before. So in my case, that's having admin or firefighting days where it's lots of shallow work and clearing the inboxes and things. And then other days where you've got Wi-Fi off and you're going deep on a specific project or a specific um, creation. The thing that I certainly need to do more of is have days where you're completely off, completely offline, and you're just going deep into your body. And the thing that you talked about of having this retreat and going out to some wood cabin and just um, being completely offline, like barely speaking to people, I think that is beautiful. And it's you definitely get to a point where you yearn to do something like that just to give yourself some mental space. Yeah, I think for the retreat in particular, it's important not to, at least for me personally, not to like idealize it, right? And and it was certainly beneficial and I certainly will do it again. But, you know, I tend to get like, I tend to think, oh, life will be better in this state or that state. And yeah, it, it's a it's a problem for me because I want to refocus myself and be so grateful for this moment. Uh, so just something that I think about. But going it's back to... It's a huge to, challenge. Yeah, it's a never-ending challenge. But, yeah. you know, this conversation makes it easier to do. Talk about, um, you mentioned your core genius. And you mentioned, mentioned it briefly, how you want to do your core genius and focus on it. So it made me think, like, what do you consider your personal source of core genius? I think we're always refining it. But yeah. for me, at present, it feels like it is distilling um, the the core actions, the, the main things in various domains to save people time. So the, the, the four key domains that I divide my life into are body, being, balance, and business. That's a framework from Garrett J. White. So body, some kind of physical practice, being, spiritual practice, balance, relationships and friends, and business or career. Um, and so the, the content that I create is really taking the Pareto efficient rules or values or principles to avoid or to, to, to save people a lot of the time that I wasted in coming to the most optimal ways to approach each of these things. I love that. That makes so much sense. And it, it reminds me, what were your four? Your four were being for one more time for, for uh, <laughs> so, people uh, who might've missed it. Sure. So body being balance and business. I've heard okay. people refer to the same ones as health, wealth, love, and happiness. Uh, same, same categories. Yeah. It reminds me of Daniel Bork's. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel Bork. He's a future podcast guest and 
seems like a cool dude who you'd get along with. His, oh, his cool. Looking forward to it. His four are eat, move, learn, and make. So it's interesting how, you know, it's this, it's a similar type of idea. Like if you have four things or you have just a handful of things that you know to base your life around, it really gives you the ability to say, okay, is what I'm doing right now aligned with my four things in any way? And if I'm not, okay, like I'm just going to stop doing that, right? So I think oh, that's yeah. and it's so, super so easy to become imbalanced with it as well. Um, unless you have clarity or oversight that you have these four categories to take care of. And, you know, th- this is a framework that I've, I've stolen from, from Garrett J. White, who's, um, who's, who works, um, works with this framework in, in much more depth, but, um, he primarily works with like his avatar is kind of overweight businessmen who have become spiritually disconnected and divorced from their, their wives or lost touch with their kids because they've been optimizing for one thing in their life, which is the business. And so the whole process is that you hit a single in every quadrant and you don't worry about trying to hit a home run. And so every Monday buys his wife flowers, you know, has some kind of daily spiritual practice, like trains four times a week or whatever. Like it's it's nothing exceptional, but it's just, it's about making sure that no one of those things slips and you're just hitting a single in each one. And that's what um, I found so fascinating about the fact that you have been so consistent over the last 75 days or, or so by doing uh, the 75 hard program. Yeah, brother. I mean, I started this program a, a year ago and it's like I've spent 165 days on this program. and That's oh, a bit more than 75 days then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... But it's the same concept in the sense of it's just like if you realize that you can do a few things every day and those things will help you, what comes out of it on the other side is like someone else entirely, like a different individual. And it it goes back to just like pursuing hard challenges and, and realizing that hard challenges are not so much about intensity of effort, although they can be. And it can have periods of intense effort, but consistency is really where that comes from and really where your success will come from long term and consistency with small habits. Like I work out two times a day, but it's like one of those can be a walk, one of those can be yoga, one of those can be a weightlifting session, but it's like that consistency over a long period of time will transform you. Twice a day is so impressive. It's not it's not sexy the consistency thing, but yeah. but it works. You know, I think it it would be great if it wasn't the case. You know, if you could say like, right, I'm just going to do ten years of yoga today, Dude, like going to so, bash it all out now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but it, it's crazy because this was such a key point for me, in the sense of when I sat down and said, I had this realization that 24 hours of working out, of lifting weights over a period of one day was not equal to 24 hours of working out over 24 days. You know, it's the same amount of time. And it's one, but it's like, it has such a different result and really internalizing that. You know what I mean? It like, that was a huge shift for me in terms of understanding the power of doing things every day, the power of doing things over a consistent period of time. And it's really true, brother. Like you said, 10 years of yoga in one day would be great. But 
it, you really need the sleeps, you really need the nights, the days <laughs> to really get the full benefit of that. I'm a bit late to the game with reading uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, but um, his point about compound interest, again, being a double-edged sword, was, was quite sobering. When he says, like, if you're 1% better every day, think how, you know, you had to know, like 37,000% better by the end of the by the end of the year. But if you're 1% worse every day, that is equally destructive. And it's, it is pretty scary. You can't, you can't take your foot off the pedal. You just, but, but on the other hand, you don't need to be revving the engine so hard. You know, you just, Mm -hmm. just slow amounts of consistency every day, um, which is, you know, once you've got those systems in place, I think the big, the big insight that, um, that I've had kind of this year is that if you get into the habit of thinking, ah, oh, well, it's, I'll skip it today. Cause it's just, it's just today. It's just, and, and that becomes the new mode of thinking that then repeats itself. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, it's always been just today. And you've made so many concessions that you've kind of degraded as a person. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a huge double edged sword. Every action that we take is a vote for the person that we want to be. And that this is a James Clear quote, or, or I believe it's a James Clear quote. I think it is, yeah. And it's just like so true in the sense of like it makes you understand that every action you take has meaning. And what I also think about related to this is like when you're – when I'm working out two times a day or when I'm doing something beneficial for me. That is time that I'm not spending doing something that's going to hurt me. So this seems like an obvious concept, but really like breaking this down, right? Is like, okay, so I'm working out and I'm outside in nature. And so that means that I'm not on my phone scrolling through Instagram or or just watching a TV show that's not going to help me. Like doing something positive actually means that in most cases, you're not doing something negative, which was which is equally beneficial. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you you mentioned George McGill recently. I think the example he gave about inversion as a mental model was really interesting. Where he, I think he was he was actually talking to Chris, who was a nightclub promoter, and he was like, "Okay, so if you're running a nightclub, one way to look at it is rather than thinking how can I make the best night out ever, how can I I make it such an awesome night, but instead, how can I avoid it being the worst night ever? Like, well, okay." If there's a fire, that would be pretty terrible. <laughs> if uh, if anyone like stands on glass or um, dies, that would also be pretty bad. Um, if the police come, that, that's quite... So it's like, okay, so let, let's just, rather than trying to shoot for the moon, we just say, how can we just avoid the, the catastrophic things happening? And then yeah. as a result, um, the the better things can come as, can come out of that. Yeah, and that's like... That comes from Charlie Munger, I believe, which is like, you know, the inversion principle and super helpful to to just internalize and, and put that mental model inside your brain because you really can make a lot of progress by just asking yourself, how can things not be the worst or how can we avoid failure in this area? They actually turn out to be pretty good if you don't ruin yourself. Um, so much so with with charlie munger as well like how how to have a good investment portfolio don't lose money like don't blow your account (laughs) so 
I've definitely made that mistake before. And the, the sim with percentages, you know, if you if you go all on red on your trading account and you you blow fifty percent of your account, you don't have to then make fifty percent to get back to where you were. You have to make a hundred percent. And so the odds are stacked against you if you if you blow your account. So it's like, how do you in any any aspect of life? How do you not blow your account rather than how do I try and hit a home run? Um, and that's why I think with training, number one rule: don't get injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me how you like you have so many different areas of of knowledge. I would say. And what, and let me know if I'm wrong. It's like everything is the same. You know, like the key principles in all these areas are the same. You want to get better, do it consistently. You want to, you know, not screw up. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? How do, how do you avoid that? Like <laughs> the ideas are the same for getting, for doing things well in different areas. And that's so fascinating because it means that you can study how someone's doing in a completely different field than you, and if they're doing it really well, you can then apply some of those tools and tactics to your own life. It's fantastic, isn't it? I'm so glad that it's that it's simple and these things do apply across the board. Because I, you know, I'm not a smart guy. I don't work well with complicated rules and everything. I prefer to have simple guidelines to follow and to know that actually, in most cases, the solution is not sexy. It's not a magic bullet. It's just about consistent application of the basics means that then you can relax and just focus on the execution as you said it gives me tremendous hope for this podcast it gives me tremendous hope for life just that to know that you know everyone else is looking for some formula how to increase podcast uh, ratings in two days you know and everyone else (laughs) is looking for the quick fix but if i know that really it's just about the long term and it's really just about putting them out. It's really just about recording these episodes. Well, that gives me tremendous freedom to understand that, hey, every episode won't be perfect. I'll make a mistake here and there, like like not calling a doctor a doctor. You know, <laughs> and that gives me freedom to understand that, you know, it's all part of the process. It's all learning experience and it's all there to serve you. And eventually you get better and better as you do it and put in the work and put in the reps and it's all the same, right, brother? hundred percent man and the irony is people spend years looking for a quick fix and i've definitely been guilty of that as well and you look back and you're like if i just like rather than looking for the ultimate bit of software if i just used microsoft excel this whole time (laughs) i would have made so much more progress so yeah and and i think the work that you're doing the content that you're putting out the energy and the consistency of your podcast like it's it's just bound to succeed like there's no other choice so, you know, it, I think it's it's a matter of time. And I, I'm so glad to see that um, from what you were saying last time that you've kind of realigned with with your authentic truth and and that this is the this is the message that you're that you're putting forward. So I'm really pleased to be part of it. Awesome, brother. Well, I'm so pleased to have you today. And this this conversation has absolutely flown by. And we're definitely going to need to do this again sometime because, you know, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and I feel like we've been friends for so long because we've been reading so many of the similar books and similar ideas and applying some of the same concepts to our own lives. So 
Dude, so true, man. This is the, know, the resonance right? field, isn't it? Well, yeah. l- listen, I, uh, I would love to have you on our podcast to continue this conversation if you're up for it. Absolutely, brother. I mean, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. It's so easy to speak to you. It's like actually talking to a friend. And I, I just want to give you a hug, brother, because it's like it's crazy how someone in a completely different part of the world can resonate with you and resonate with what you've learned and what you've studied for what I've studied for the past, I don't know, five, 10 years in terms of all this stuff and applying it. So super grateful for you, brother. Before Likewise, we, man. Before got, we wrap this. We've always got to stay in the UK as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we wrap this baby up, tell everyone where they could find you out on the interwebs. So propane fitness, that is propane like the gas, uh, not our stance on, on pain. And you can see that on yeah YouTube, Twitter, uh, or Instagram are probably our main channels. Uh, you can also go to propanefitness.com or propane-business.com for the business content. Um, but yeah, any of those channels, you can find the rest of it. Awesome. And they've got some great articles. They've got some great videos, super informative stuff. You guys should definitely check that out. And see you in the next one. Thanks, man. Speak soon. That was my episode with Dr. Yusuf Smith. I really appreciate you guys listening until the final seconds. If you enjoyed this episode, you can leave a review on iTunes. That really helps other people find the show. Or you can let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda. I love your feedback and I appreciate you so much. Have a wonderful day. And I'll see you guys in the next one.